0: This is what's up for us. This is our party. We didn't stop partying. We just switched locations. We don't go to Excalibur anymore or to Rush Street or whatever party place you used to go to. Paladrone. Anybody remember the Paladrone out in Palatine? Yeah, I lived in the suburbs for a little bit with my sister, and I was a partier in my senior days. I know what y'all were up to. Man, I don't know what I would have done if I would have gone to the the Latino ones. Or the house music. I don't know what would have happened then. I might not have made it to heaven. I'm glad that I didn't know about y'all. Amen. But how many are glad you're in church this morning? Amen. No place I would rather be. Sometimes people complain about church people. I'm like, have you met club people? (laughs) I'd rather have church people than club people. You ever met Packers fans or other types of sports fans? People are like, I like sports. Man, you ever met sports fans? They'll fight in the stadium. Sometimes they're on the same team. They just get annoyed with each other. Anybody seen those go viral? I'm like, man, I'll take church people problems over the worldly problems any day, amen? But the reason why we come to church is not because we have problems, it's because we know the problem solver. And he's solving our problems, I may believe that as well. Amen. Well, we're going to go to our notes today. It's online on the app if you want to follow along. We're talking about starting the new year with vision so that we can do more in 24 than we've ever done before. And the first place that we wanted to start was with what the church is about, and what this local ministry is about. So our name is Metro Praise International. Our vision is on our shirts. It's on our banners, just in case anybody forgets. And let me just tell you guys, wear your stuff loud and proud out there. How many get compliments from your shirts? I still do. I was just at the dealership the other day and I was uh, talking to people, and they said, and I had this one on because I pretty much wear the same stuff all the time. How I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I give it the smell test. Oh, it doesn't need to be washed yet. It's still good. So I was wearing this like two days ago. You know, just doing my thing. And uh, and they looked at it and they're like, "Man, I like your shirt." And I and I hear that so often. This is not to brag or boast, but you know, because we have the Christian printing business and everything, I always forget which one I have on. I'm like, oh, "Okay, you like this one." All right. So I look down. and I'm like, "This is a unique one because I don't hear too much about liking this one. Normally, Chicago for Jesus or some radical statement we have on there. But to see this." It was pretty encouraging to me because this is what we stand for as a church. And then what I did is I just started to break down every one of the things. And that's just what we're doing here. We're breaking these down. So let's go to why it's important to have a vision. The Bible talks about in Proverbs. Go ahead and keep scrolling with me, brother. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people what? perish but he that keepeth the law happy is he so this is our vision we're putting it before you so that you can see it it's a summary of the scriptures now all throughout church history they've done this they've had creeds and things that they recite just like we did with our confession of faith over our giving because they always wanted to make it easy to believe in what they were teaching let me show you a creed here in the scripture that's even marked off in your NIV go to your Bibles of uh, Philippians chapter 2 Philippians chapter 2 gives us a creed how many know this one Anybody know it? No Bible students know this one? Oh, it is quiet in here. Lauren, go get me some gift cards. I got to see if anybody knows this. Nobody raised their hands and said they knew about this one. I've taught you this hymn before. This is called the Carmen Christi. Anybody ever heard of that? Oh, some of y'all lying. Now, don't lie. Did you really hear about it? Those who just shouted out, you heard about it? In my class. All right, we're going to get you a gift card then. I got a gift card. Is that one back there? Come on, brother, you're getting a gift card. Let's give it up for Juan. I don't think Juan would lie. How many believe Juan would tell the truth? Amen. Now, I've taught you this before. I don't want to be sassy and start getting upset, but I am a little bit hurt. I'm a little bit hurt, half kid there. But what we forget is that the Bible's written in creeds, it's written in hymns. This is called the Carmen Christi. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 2. Go ahead and give uh, Juan a gift card there for me. It says at uh, verse 5 In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, do you see this right here, that indentation in the NIV? Does everybody see that right there? Okay, now we just got to make sure you're up and paying attention. How many see that it's indented right here? So it didn't just start, this W didn't start over here. It starts indented. Now, the reason why it's indenting, when the paragraph should be going on. See, right there is like the start of a new paragraph. Just scroll up a little bit so everybody can see there's paragraphs. That's scrolling down. Scroll up so the verses get smaller. Does everybody see there's a paragraph right here? And then you see it indents right here in your Bible in NIV, okay? And then you see it indents again, okay? So everybody's on the same page. Now, notice that after it indented, it starts breaking up the sentence by the commas. You see that? And then it goes to the next section. Everybody see that? Can I hear an amen? Okay, what the NIV is doing is what would be seen if you were a Greek speaker or reader, the NIV is helping you. This is not in the original. It's not like Paul said, now let me make the indentation, now let me do that. That's, that's not in the original. But what the NIV is doing is helping you and I to understand in the Greek what is happening, the original language. And that is now the writing style has changed. How many know you would you would know the difference between me writing to you an email that says hey what are you doing today for dinner or what are we doing later on this week and then there was a cat that lived in a hat and you know he had a mat and I started rhyming like that how many would know like there would be a difference right there that something had changed in between how I was writing like like normally to now what would be considered like poetry well this is what's happening right here in Philippians chapter two something is changing in the writing style and what changes. Is Paul begins to give them either what is a hymn and a creed or just a creed. So it's either a creed that they sung or just something that they recited. Either way, we know it's a creed. And it goes, you know, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And you can just follow along. Look at how it's jumping there through the words and the indentation in the NIV to help you to to, to follow along with the Greek being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now go to First uh, Timothy chapter 3.16. How many know this one? Don't lie. Okay, Juan's getting another gift card. Juan's getting a lot of gift cards today. What's that? No, that's Second Timothy. Good guess, though. I wish I could give you an E for effort. Oh, man, no gift card, no second gift card for him. No, no, no. Man, this is pretty disappointing. First Timothy 3.16 is one of the most beautiful scriptures about the deity of Christ. Once again, a hymn or a hymn, slash a creed, no matter what, but a creed slash hymn or simply a creed. Look at it here. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. Now, everybody see the indentation here? Okay. Now, do you see how it starts to move like this as the, the sentences are being broke up? Does everybody see? That means that it's a poetic style. It was a creed for them. He appeared in the flesh. Now notice this. The, the two that we have talked about in Philippians and in Timothy all have to do with what? What does it have to do with? Shout it out. Jesus, I'll give Michael the first one. I'll give him a, he was the first one. Give him a gift card, please. Let's walk it over. Let's give it to Lauren. Vanna White here. Come on. Let's give him the gift card. There we go. Well, we're going to bless you for paying attention in church. Amen. This is what I do with my children. And if you don't get the ice cream, that's your fault. You should have been paying attention. Somebody wanted that gift card. All you had to do is pay attention like Brother Mike and you get the gift card. Amen? He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in the glory. And there's a debate in the, uh, the manuscripts over the word he, whether it's God appeared in the flesh, if you've read it out of the King James, or whether it's he. And the reason why those words can appear very similar is because the Greek has them very similar, especially when they abbreviated the name of God, the Nomera sacra. Uh, they didn't want to write out even the name of God in the New Testament and they would abbreviate it, and that abbreviation is identical in many ways if you were just passing through to the word he. And so there's a debate on whether it's God appeared in the flesh, like it says in Philippians, being in the very nature God, or if it's he appeared in the flesh. And I prefer the translation that's God appeared in the flesh for the majority text uh, validation and authentic- authentication that we have. Everybody say authentication. Amen. Now you sound scholarly. Now going back to the notes, please what we're doing here is giving you vision. See, in the early church, when they were writing the scriptures, they had to give it in a simplified way that everybody would understand. Most of the people were not literate. Most of the people could not read. And then if you could read to have the scrolls, to have the manuscripts, that would be very time consuming and expensive. How many know libraries today are a blessing? Libraries, information, knowledge to access that knowledge is a blessing. They did not have that back then. And so the common folk, when they would be listening in service like how you are today, you could just imagine how tough it would be for people to remember what they had been told. So they would summarize those things in ways that they could understand. You just went through some of those summaries. So whether or not you would remember everything in Timothy, if you were in the uh, church of Ephesus, whether or not you would remember everything in there, hopefully you would remember that God manifested in the flesh, that he appeared among men, was seen among angels, amen. Amen. And that's what you would go out and talk about. And then the same thing if you were in Philippi, that God, who was in the very nature, or Jesus rather, who was in the very nature of God, took on the nature of man, making himself nothing, putting himself under the Father's will even to the point of death. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So you would remember those things. And then to understand the icons, everybody say icon. To understand the, the iconoclast, the, the problem that happened in the early church over whether or not you could even have icons of the cross or of Jesus on the cross or of the fish. How many know the icon of the fish? And uh, the, the story behind that, just real quick, is that when they were underground and the Christians were in the Roman Empire and it was illegal to meet, they would know that Christians would be in certain areas. And when they would travel and come to those certain areas, they would get around where they were talking to be. You know, look for this person at this fish market or look for this person like Lydia dealing cloth over here with the textiles. But to be sure when they had met that person that they were dealing with another Christian, when they would talk they would make a line, uh, I mean make like an arc with their foot in the sand. How many have ever heard this before? Yeah, they would make an arc with their foot. Why would they just talking? Hey, how you doing? Man, You selling some of that purple cloth? Okay, I might want to get that for one of my robes. Okay, And they're just doing like that. And if it was a Christian on the other side they would do their ark, and then they would make the sign of the fish. How many know that's beautiful? And that would represent Christ, okay? And so these icons created a clash, and it became known as the class. They They started fighting over whether or not they could allow these into the church. And icons eventually allowed in. Well, one of the arguments for the icons was that it helps people visually see what the Word is saying. So if the Word is saying Jesus died on the cross, now you visually get to see it. How many know that makes sense? Now, if you want to go to the point where you want to forbid all icons because you have a problem with how Roman Catholics and the Orthodox have made them into idols, then you have to now get rid of even the cross that you wear. You have to now even get rid of all of your symbols, okay? So you just can't pick or choose, and then you got to get rid of having Jesus on. place because that's an image as well. Everybody go, hmm, I didn't think about that. See, many don't. So we're not forbidding all icons. What we do is forbidding the prayer to icons. Does everybody get that? We we are forbidding the veneration, the veneration. Everybody say veneration. The veneration of the icons. See, that's the difference. If I ever see you over here lighting a candle to these icons and kissing it, then we're going to have some trouble, okay? But as long as we have icons up of the of the cross and icons of our, of our vision and the wording of what we believe, then that's okay. And so now going back to this, why were they arguing for that? Because if people were illiterate coming to the church, what could they see in the icons? They could see the stations of the cross. You remember that? In the Catholic church, you could see the, the life in, of Jesus. You could see the story of Moses. See, that's what they were selling it on. And then they took it to the next level and started it. Venerating that icon because remember, even in the Old Testament, they had icons, they had the icon of the angels over the uh, Ark of the Covenant, and they had those kind of things going on. But you never saw like Moses talking to the angel, like, Hey man, talk to God for me over there. You know, you never saw him kissing the angel, so they never venerated it, but they had them. Now, I said all of that to say this these are our icons. Not idols. We're not venerating them. But these are the things that we're summarizing the scripture with so that you can understand what God has called us to do. And then we believe. Everybody get this. We believe if you do this for God's kingdom, if you put God first, you're next. <laughs> hey, come on, somebody. I didn't make it up. A preacher said it, but he got it from God. Because in Matthew 6, 33, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what happens? All these things will be added unto who? To you. Ew. So the first is always God, and then he's thinking about us next, isn't he? The Bible says love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. We're next in line to be loved on and to be blessed. You know, you give God your best, and then he blesses the rest. How many want to live that kind of life? Amen. And then you just might be too blessed to be stressed. Come on. Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3 says that the Lord was commanding that now you got a vision. Write that vision and make it plain on tablet. That's how they wrote things down, that he may run who reads it. The vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. You do not need a vision for something you already see in the natural that's called, main, that's called maintenance and maintaining things. And that's wonderful that I have a marriage and that I need to now maintain it. What I need to have in that marriage is a vision of what we're going to be like at our 50th year anniversary. You see, so I'm not having a vision for what I already have. I'm having a vision for something that is not yet here. And as the old timers used to say, if the vision doesn't put you out of a job and get God to work on your behalf, you don't have the right kind of a vision. Because you need to have a vision where that only God can do it. Can I hear an amen? It doesn't matter. Like like you try to flap your wings, no matter how hard you try, you can't get up 30,000 feet. You got to get into a plane. And, And you need to have the kind of vision that you're looking for forward going, if God doesn't show up and do this, I can't do it. There's no way I can work to make this happen in my own strength and ability. It doesn't mean I won't do something. It just means I'm not the one responsible to bring this thing to pass. I'm putting it all on God. Can I hear an amen? Like we're talking about revival, a hundred thousand people. How many know I can't do that? How many know I just need to stop right now and stop trying in the sense of making that happen? You know, that doesn't mean I don't work with the Lord. I'm just saying like if I try to manipulate you or try to put my work into that to do that first and foremost, it will never happen. I have to let go and let God to show me how 100,000 is coming to pass. Then I cooperate with him. But it, notice it, here's another way of saying it. It's not that you're, uh, you know, the co-pilot and you guys, you know, you and Jesus are sitting next to each other or, you know, Jesus is the, you know, sitting shotgun. No, Jesus is the driver. You're in the trunk. Amen. Jesus is flying the plane every now and then he'll let you go up there and touch a button or two, but he's the one in charge. And that's what it really means is that you're getting a vision that scares you in a sense like, oh man, I don't think this can be done. Well, then you're, then you're right where you need to be because it's impossible with man. How many remember when Jesus said that? it's impossible with man it's impossible but the great I am says I am possible Jesus makes all things possible I mean that's literally why we're saying that scripture I can do all things through Christ the all things there it's not just for you to get a promotion or just to get things in life that may naturally happen on their own even for unbelievers when you are asking God to do all things according to his strength that's within you what you are doing is asking him to do supernatural things how many know Moses could not move the Red Sea that's the stuff I'm talking about. How many want to have a vision like that? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God doing supernatural things. And of course, if you want, and we've talked about this here, you're putting in things in your vision. You know, like, man, I want a six-pack. I want to save some money. I want to, Okay, that's wonderful. But I'm talking about let's go to the biggest thing that we can think of in the kingdom of God. Our marriages, in our families and communities and ask God for that. That's why we have 100,000 up here. Amen. Amen. And then in Proverbs 21.5, it says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. So now that I've gotten this vision from God and I've wrote it down and I've realized, like, it's impossible, I can't make it happen, I'm still going to be obedient to what now he tells me to do. I can't make the Red Sea move, but I can put a staff in it. Can I hear it? amen? Come on, somebody. I mean, imagine you try to, you, you make it your job. I'm going to split the Red Sea. That's going to be your job today. You're not doing that in the natural. There's just no way. Now, people might say we can build it down. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about imagine you stand in the middle of the Red Sea and parting it. You can't do it. And for many of you, you're in, you know, you're like me. You're in situations. You're saying, well, I'm trying to restore my marriage. I'm trying to do this. It's impossible. I've tried this. Well, then you are in the perfect situation for a miracle. That's what I'm talking about. Sometimes we act like God doing stuff is, is like, God's just going to give you a little bit of an upgrade in life. Like you can do this much. Like you can get, you can get maybe to an expedition type blessing, but God's going to get you a Range Rover. You know, like sometimes that's, that's the way we think about prayers and miracle and all of that. No, man, without God, you just knocked out on the floor. You're not even moving. You're not on a bike. You're not on a scooter. You knocked out. Are you listening to me? And God's going to put you in a 747. That's that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about from death to life type stuff. I'm talking about a Red Sea looking at you, scary, and waves, and the next moment you walking on dry ground. I'm talking about you being in a pit, in a prison. I'm talking about that, and then the next thing you're in front of Pharaoh making calls for the nation. Amen. That's, that's what 100,000 means to me. That, that's why when we started this church, God said, well, How big can you believe me to do it? It wasn't me to do it. it was, how big can you even think that I could do it? No, of course, I could say a million, billion, and a thillion. No, but I mean, I just use my biggest imagination. I say, Man, 100,000 to Soldier Stadium filled with people. Man, that would, that would be the biggest thing, God, I could imagine you doing. How many know it takes some faith just to believe that? Especially in a world that's gone mad. Sometimes it feels like we're going backwards as the church. When I had that vision of 100,000, they weren't confused over genders back then. Now they're confused over genders. When I had that vision back in 19, or 2005, it like 1975. No, when I had that vision in 2005, back, back way back when, when, when I had that vision, man, we, we, we still believe that black and white people didn't need separate graduation services or, or ceremonies. Are you listening? Like, we've become divided after that. When, when I was saying that, no, nobody was believing that we needed to tear down a city to get justice. No one believed that Christianity was the root to all evil back then. I'm just being honest with you. Maybe somebody, maybe, maybe uh, uh, the Farrakhan did. Louis Farrakhan believed that type of crazy stuff. But I'm talking about the world has changed since then. But God's vision still remains the same. And it doesn't matter whether or not it looks like it's working on the outside. I know he's working on behalf of me in ways that I can't see. And he's doing the same thing for you. But we do have to make those plans. We do have to be diligent. Now we ask the Lord and we go, okay God, you want to part the Red Sea. What do I do? Okay, well I want you to go over here and put your stick in the thing. Okay, that's what I'm going to do, God. Okay, and then you just follow, you know, look at the story of the Israelites. Okay, God, you know, we're all hungry here. Uh, We don't got no food. How many know you can't make manna come down from heaven? I mean, you could try, but if you just look crazy God I ask you to bring down some manna from heaven so I can eat it today Lord you I know you can and people have done that kind of silly stuff to test God but they starve to death people have tried to walk on water without God's permission not knowing how to swim and they die in the ocean I'm being honest with you people have tried crazy stuff but how many know if God's in it it can happen within a moment and then there, there it comes. There's the manna. Boom, there it is. And then what does he tell them to do? Now, you collect it like this. You only get enough for a day except the day before the Sabbath because you won't collect it on the Sabbath. And you get two days. So, yeah, there's, there's a work they're going to do. But they're not working for the miracle. They're now working with the miracle. Can I hear an amen? And so the idea is, man, just lay yourself off. T- take your layoff right now because you can't make a miracle come to pass. Just just take away the pressure off of yourself. That's what I do when it comes to these big things that I am believing God for. I take off the pressure. I don't look to myself now to try to make it happen, trying to manipulate, get 100,000 people here, or you know, with my marriage that I got to force everything because I want to make it to 50 years. No, I'm, I'm going I'm to resign from trying to make the miracle happen. But what I can do is now have plans that as the miracle happens this is what I'm going to do. As God brings the manna, this is what I'm going to do. As God parts the Red Sea, this is what I'm going to do. Looking at Joe. Joseph in the Bible, as he brings me from, you know, the the pit to prodifer to prison, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to serve him. Amen. And then this this is what will be the test of your heart to whether or not you're truly humble. When the miracle comes, do you take the credit or does God get all the glory? That's why I love messing with my friends when they start telling their stories. You know, we uh, would hang out all the time, and I would see them at these various conferences and different things, and everybody had to talk about what God did. And that's amazing because I'm glad we're talking about it. But you could always tell that the ones that wanted to take credit for it by the way they told their story. So they would be like, man, we just raised 50000 for this thing, and we just did that, and then we just did this. And, we, and this is how I would mess, mess them up. I would say back to them, isn't my God so good to you? Isn't my God good to you? And then they would look back at me and they would be a little bit put off. they would, like, "Yeah, but we did this and we did." I said, "My God did that." I said, "Isn't my God good?" <laughs> See, what I started to do was take credit. We not not take credit, but take joy in the blessing because I knew it was my God. But when they started to see that now they can't be better than me, now it's our God doing the work, they didn't like that because they wanted to have something over on me at that table. Are are y'all tracking with me here? So next time you hear somebody talk about bishop so-and-so or church so-and-so, just look at them and say, ma'am, isn't my God good to you? My God's been so good to you. I thank him for being good to you. And then you could just test their heart and see where they're at. Because how many of you really testifying about Jesus and someone said that back to you, you might be like, that sounds a little weird, but I agree with it. It is your God and it's my God. It's our God. Hallelujah. But I always love to see my friend's reaction with that. And then I, and then I would always say back to them, you know, something like, well, you know, it's not yours, right? It's God's then, isn't it? So you're going to give it away now, right? You're going to, that big building that you have now, no paid concerts in it, right? Because God gave it to you. You told me God gave it to you, right? God, God, God gave it to me. Well, God gave it to you, so now it's free for everybody to come up in there, right? I can borrow it if I need it, right? And then you can see real quick, oh, nope, 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 no. Nope, nope. It always, It's just crazy to me when churches charge in other churches for stuff. We used to go to Mardi Gras while well, I lived there at the time, but my friends would go to the Mardi, you know, come to the Mardi Gras and this, this, this large mega church would host them. And then there would always be this you know, fight over the finances and we would have to get involved and go, okay, well, did we have this many and then this many pay? Because I think they're counting we had this many and we would be going through all of this. And I'm really thinking to myself, you have a church in the city. People are coming from around the country to be in your city to do a mission trip. And the first thing that comes to your mind is, how much can we charge him per person? Come on, somebody say the devil is a liar. Man, just have the church building. Let's put it to use. The church building is one of the most unused pieces of property in real estate. Can someone get that for me, please? Thank you. you all fighting for it. Amen. All right. Man, do we, do we have gift cards? I want to give these guys gift cards. This was like, there was a fight to fix that water. I hope you all know I'm nice and I'm kind. Nobody was going to get hurt either. I love you. Just doing it because you love me maybe, right? That's all I'm think about that. Thank you guys for loving me today. I'm so serious. Lauren went somewhere, but we she gets back. We're going to get three gift cards for that. But going back to this, I'm thinking to myself, maybe this is the reason why Christianity has lost so much respect in the world. Because if we really believed in God, then we would act like it was all his stuff. The, the building in, in the church is, is one of the most unused properties in real estate it remains empty those sanctu- especially those mega church sanctuaries most of the time they remain empty the entire week i mean just imagine that just like a stadium that's another one that's not used but at least during the week they'll do other things but then here you have the opportunity as a church to do things in that property and instead of giving it away you now want to charge people for it stupid is a stupid does just imagine that we have told like the person raising that money Told everybody in that congregation, the day they dedicated that building, look what God gave us. Look what God gave us. And then when another Christian goes, hey, you know that thing that God gave you? Can I use it too? Because we serve the same God. They're like, my name is Jimmy and I'll take all you can give me. You don't really believe it's what God gave you then, do you? The Bible says that you got to have plans. We got to put to work the things that we believe God's going to do. And then we want to be a blessing to people. I believe that in this church there are so many ideas that God will give us to prosper us but we do have to go to work and we can't be lazy. We can take the principles of generosity in the kingdom and apply it into the world, but we have to understand in the world companies don't have friends. Verizon and Mo and I've always said that because you know T-Mobile's right here. They don't hope for each other's success. They want to blow each other out the water. Amen. So it doesn't matter whether you're in this church and you're in Verizon or you're in T-Mobile. I'm praying for your success. And then whatever one takes over the other one, you still get part of that merger. That's why I as a pastor can be consistent. It's not whether or not I believe that McDonald's is better than Burger King. If you work there or own one or, or, you know, uh, Starbucks is better than Dunkin' Donuts. It's not that. I'm praying for your success. And even like in the time of Babylon, when they they got taken over by the Medes and Persians, all those who were blessed stayed in power. Those who didn't got got hoisted out. So I'm praying for your blessing. Even if your company can't sustain you for the next few years, because some of you might be working at the equivalent of a Kmart right now, and your business may be going out. You might be working at the equivalent of a Blockbuster right now. You might be on the way up. But I pray whatever comes next, you are part of it. Amen? And then those of you who are part of those systems and those things in the world, that you remain in good faith. And that you show the people that what you're learning here works on the job. That's why I asked you last week, how many have jobs where they want you to give a, a vision statement for your future or to put something out there for their business? And only a few people raised their hands. And I said, well, now we know whose businesses are all going to get beat up this year. You know, because, I mean... Walmart at some point had a better vision than Kmart. Can I hear an amen to that? I'm not saying we're amen for everything Walmart does. I'm just saying the truth is at some point Walmart adjusted. At some point Walmart made changes that Kmart didn't. And that's what's going to happen in our everyday life. And so I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your businesses. I'm praying for the work that you do. I'm praying that your hands will be hard, uh, you know, be uh, diligent, and that you'll be hardworking, and that God will give you raise, rest, and that in this year you'll prosper with the church. Because I, as a pastor, want your success. Because as a pastor, I see your success as a kingdom success. Amen? When your family is right, that makes the kingdom of God look good. When you're blessed on your job, it, it makes the kingdom of of God look good. And then sometimes we go through struggles, and I understand that, but even through your struggles, I want you to give God glory. Amen. All right, so here it is in summary. Number one, let's go to the next slide, please. Number one, have a vision. Number two, record and share that vision. and number three, make plans to diligently bring about that vision. How am I going to do that in 2024? Amen. Amen. Here's where we get our name, Jeremiah chapter 20, uh, 33 rather, verse 9. The Bible says that, uh, you, please in the notes, sir, the Bible says that we will become a city of praise unto God before all the nations. How many think that's pretty cool? That speaks about New Jerusalem, and I want to be a part of that even now, as we're the temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, in closing, which I have not been able to get to, and hopefully I can have more time in closing today than I did in the other weeks, because I spent a lot of time in the introduction, I want to give you 10 things that will encourage you to be a part of this church, and then As you see it work in your life, in this church, in your spiritual life, it will work in the world. Amen? Amen. Let's go to them. Scroll on down there. Here they are. Ten things. They're in the notes. You can write them down, take a picture of it, but I think you'll see that these attributes are good things. Willing, committed, faithful, generous, sacrificial, dedicated, humble, eager, hungry, trustworthy. Tell me any job that doesn't want those as attributes right now, and I'll give you $10 to help you find a new one. No, I'm serious because if you tell me you work for a company and they don't want you to be willing to do things, they don't want you to be committed, they don't want you to be faithful, they're not gonna reward your generosity when you work with your customers, you're not gonna you're not gonna wrangle over 1% over that sales deal if, if you've got the company making 20% for their income off of it. You get what I'm saying? Like they're gonna say, man, get that deal done, be generous to that customer sacrifice if you're going to tell me a company says no we don't ever want you to make a sacrifice stay or come early stay late if you are part of a company that says no we're not looking for dedicated people we're just looking for people who come and go as much as they want or if you're going to tell me you work for a company and they say we love pride around here we love when people argue and fight and get attitudes with each other come on Hello, or, or we don't want you to be eager to serve. We want you to be slothful. We want you to be the, the last one always to do the thing. We want you to, to, to always have to be pushed to do it. Uh, come on. Somebody say eager. And then they, if you work for a company, they don't want you hungry for success. They don't want you hungry to succeed. Like I said, I'll give you $10 to start looking for a new one right now. Or trustworthy? Can anybody think of a company that says, oh, we just like liars and cheats. We like everybody who steals around here. Man, those are our favorite kind of people. Give them the promotion. Make them managers. So you see how these attributes apply to your everyday life. Can I hear an amen to them? Come on, because some of you are thinking we're going all aboard to It's a Wonderful World in Disney World right now, and that we're entering make-believe land. When I talk about you blessing the church this year, I know, because I've been around a while. You guys, some of you think that I'm just talking about, it's a small world after all. Here we go to church. It's a small world. We're going to learn about all these things right now. And it doesn't really matter, because when I get off the ride, it's just going to be like, I just had a good time. When I get out of church, it's just going to be like, I had a good time. I don't know what the preacher talked about, but he sure looked like he liked it, because he shouted it about, you know, shouted it at me the whole time. I like guess one kid said, when the mom said, uh, what did he talk about? I don't know, but he was loud, mom. You know, you know, but listen, if you can't find this in your everyday life, like I'm telling you, I'll pay you $10 to go find a place where you can do these things. Because we're not learning make-believe here. The, the faith of the Christian, the devotion of the Christian, the, the lifestyle of the Christian, the foundation of the Christian is the foundation for all success and all endeavors in life. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things were added unto you, that doesn't stop when you're wanting to build a nation and have the declaration of independence. They get that picture up, please, when them boys all hit their knees. They understood if we're about ready to fight the largest power known to man on the earth, we better pray before we say it's on. Because you know the old saying is true, don't start no stuff, won't be no stuff. And they're about ready to start some stuff right now. How many know before you get into a war, you might just want to pray to make sure you got something, God helping you, somebody helping you. So it it doesn't stop whether or not you're building a nation, building your family, building a college or a university. It doesn't matter what we are doing today in this church when we walk out these four walls. Everything you will do, if it is to succeed, will be on the foundation of God. Can I hear an amen to that? Please and thank you. I was talking to my kids because we're going through devotions. And our our yearly devotions, we try to keep up with, with the ones I put out. And let me just be honest with everybody here wanting to do family devotions this year. Being consistent is more important than you having a set schedule that you keep every single day. If you can, because I mean, some of you, a set schedule will help, and I don't want to discourage that. But I just want to encourage some people, if you're like me, where you can hardly see them all together at one time, there's practices, and you're going and coming. Here's the idea of consistency versus just having that one set schedule is that when you know they're all together and you hear the Holy Spirit tell you to do it, then you do it. So, you know, on average per week, even in the pastor's house, we're consistent to do it, but it's about two or three times. Now, I aim to do it every day, I want to do it every day. But sometimes Bethany Boopster's got to run up over here and do this. And then other times I'm doing a little bit of this. And then Nancy said, if I could just make dinner now and feed everybody, we could move on with the day. And I'm like, well, I'm not hungry yet. How many know what I'm talking about? Y'all quiet in this Presbyterian church. You act like you do it every day at the exact same time. And I just wasted that little advice I gave. How many just got free right there? Did that just bless you? Just be blessed with that. I'm telling you because the consistency is more important than the exact schedule. It is. Now, for some of you, the exact schedule is the only way it will get done. Every day we do it at 530. And that's wonderful. But for most of you here, you're living a life where every day at 530 does not look the same. So I just want to encourage you with that as he was pulling up that picture. Now, you may look at them and say, these are some of the most white privileged people I have ever seen, slave-owning, devil-worshiping, Illuminati people. But here's one thing that they understood. Here's one thing you can learn. You can learn even one thing from the devil, and that, that, that's a he don't give up. Amen? Mm-hmm. Here's one thing you can learn from them if you don't respect anything else about them. Is they knew, they better hit their knees and pray Just to make it today. Are you listening? So going back to what I'm talking about, please put up the notes. Everything I'm talking about is there in your everyday life if you're going to bring God with you. Or I should say partner with God on your job because he's everywhere. But you know what I mean? If you're going to bring him in that relationship that you have on your job, you got to be down to do these things. Let me just say this one more time before I go through this. Oh, to God that scientists were like this again. I almost, I have like some great t-shirt ideas, but I almost wish I would have came up with them back then, but I didn't. This would have been great during the the COVID time. Trust science. Watch. Big, bold letters. Trust science, but not scientists or politicians. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. I'll trust science, but I'm not trusting that dude Fauci telling me every five seconds that I need to get a shot and a booster and all this and that. I'm going to trust science. I'm going to trust what they actually do in the lab and what they actually are reporting correctly that is checked and double-checked and triple checked. T- I'm going to trust that, but not just one scientist spouting off a bunch of nonsense or a politician trying to use and abuse their power. I'll even say it like this, don't trust pastors, trust the Bible, amen? Because pastors can lie, pastors can cheat, but trust the Word of God. Test everything I say by the Word of God, amen? So these things, brothers and sisters, are our foundation. So I'm at my children's, you know, uh, doing a devotional time, and, and I'm teaching them. And in the scripture that we had that day was that Jesus said, my words are the foundation that a man builds his life upon and if you hear these words of mine and you don't put them into practice, you're like a well, what kind of person? Foolish somebody say foolish if you hear Jesus's words and you don't put them into practice What kind of person are you a foolish person and mr. T? What do you say about the fool? I pity the fool I know it's getting old, but I'm gonna keep him alive in this culture because he, he's he has a good joke in this sermon right here Right, and that is we pity the fool because their life is gonna crash So then I looked at my children as we're there and I said to them How many things you think you can put on God's foundation you think it's just how we build a big church or just how we do charitable work? I said, what do you think we can put on God's foundation? That's what we started going through, what I've just talked to you about. You can put a nation on God's foundation, an entire thing about this, 300 million people you can put on God's foundation, 1 billion people in China, almost a billion in India. You can put on God's foundation right now. God's foundation can handle politics. God's foundation can handle science. How many believe that? God's foundation can handle every endeavor we do right now. Everything that we are learning about the world, it doesn't matter whether it's particle physics with Michio Akaku now saying that God's a mathematician and a musician at the same time because string theory is the voice of God with the knowledge of God. It's amazing. I mean, everything we do, we can put on that foundation. Because just like I say to my kids when we're watching some movie like Doctor Strange or Spider-Man in the multiverse, I say, this is some of the most stupid stuff I have ever seen. There's four Spider-Mans, one's a pig, one's a dog, you know, one's a cartoon, one's this, and I'm just like, we're actually in this world. Another world that I was watching was low key and there's a talking clock. I'm like, this is where they have come from. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I the only nerd here? Okay, y'all also act like you don't watch movies. You all get real quiet. I talk about family devotions. I just can't relate, Pastor. I do it seven days a week for an hour and a half. I don't know what you're talking about. That must be a struggle. That must be a you thing. Here, I'm talking about movies like this, and you're just like, no. No. No, that's that's another you thing. I don't get it. I don't watch movies. No, but I'm serious. I'm watching these things. I'm like the clock is here. The multiverse is here. There's a thousand of these Spider Mans here, and you know you're watching the Doctor uh, uh, Strange universe. The thing's folding in on itself. It's just like one universe. It's just so confusing. And then I say to my kids, I go, Guess what? Who made all that stuff? Cause it ain't the other, it ain't it ain't it ain't the one that they think did it or the one that they always find at the end. You know, you're watching low-key, They find the one that the one who shall not be named. You know, it's never that one, dude. Because he's a part of the creation as well. Let me just tell you something. My God made all of that, and He didn't make it to be used and abused like that. They're just playing make believe in my God's world. Because at the end of the day, God made all that. God made all that. And if there was a multiverse, He would have told us about it. But the only multiverse that I know of is the one called heaven. Amen? And that's coming to earth. And then all that is not of God will be put into another multiverse called hell. How many know about that place? So there's maybe in total about three. Okay? And they're probably just two separate realms, the natural realm and the spiritual realm. Don't go to hell. Go to heaven with Jesus. Amen? Amen? All right, here we go. Number one, be willing to love God and people with everything on the inside of you. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 39 says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. That's what we need to prioritize in our Christian life and starting here today. If you haven't been doing that, please do that. Anything before God becomes an idol in any way you would treat others that you wouldn't want to treat, be treated as is a sin. So this is where I even say to our people who are, you know, really trying to spread the gospel. I say, do you want a Muslim to stand up on a plane and be like, Allah Akbar? You know, and then they say, can I get your attention? Muhammad is the true and one and all, or the last prophet. I do testify. And then they're like, no, I don't want a Muslim doing that. Then why do you guys stand up on a plane and keep saying, hey, everybody's want to tell you Jesus is Lord. And then they make a video and then we all clap for that. That's that's so amazing. I mean, dude, If the let's just think about that. If the Muslim did Allah Akbar, how many know he's getting tackled? How many, like, nobody's celebrating his freedom of speech at that moment? Seriously, man, and I've seen the joke, and it's true because I've been to Southeast Asia. They're going to start tackling the Sikh. They're going to start tackling the Jain. Every other person that even looks like a Muslim going, you're all terrorists. And they're going to be like, we're not even Muslim. What are you talking about? Because everybody gets the right to stand up and say something in America as long as it's the Christian thing, except we don't want them to do it. So that's why I always say when it comes to freedom of speech, it's in public property, property that is owned by the government and is there for freedom of speech. So I don't want anybody running up in my church saying, you know, Ganesh is the true God, and I worship Ganesh, and here's a little Ganesh statue that I'm going to hide in your building. Like people are going into, public, uh, into private businesses, hiding Bibles and all that. See, the Gideons had to get permission to do that. Can I hear an amen? If, if the hotel wants to put a Bible in there, let's put a Bible in there. But you got to be happy if they put a Quran in there, the Bhagavad Gita in there. Are you all listening to me? So don't don't say that you're loving people while you're doing stuff to them you wouldn't want done to you. So people say to me all the time, man, would you want people preaching in front of your church? Absolutely. The way I uh, uh, preach in front of their buildings and so forth. If it disturbs the peace, we'll turn it down. But I want to use the freedom of speech. And I would want someone to have a freedom of speech out there. When they were protesting us, we didn't say you couldn't be there. We just said just don't burn down the building, please and thank you. But you can be out there as long as you want. And they were there. and How many of them did disturb anything? Okay, and so that's what I'm talking about. And, and so this idea that oh, we're Christian, and because we're Christian, we can do this thing, and it's not really something we want done to us, but we can do this thing. No, we got to be very careful with that. To the point that I raise my children in Christianity is to the point I would want someone to raise their children in Islam. You see, it gets quiet when I talk like that. You see, I don't want to force my children with beatings and spankings to love Jesus, no more than I would want a child being raised in a Hindu family or a Muslim family to be beaten spanked. But that child, uh, that parent has the right to raise that child in that family according to their beliefs and give them blessings and, you know, things according to how well they memorize their scripture and go through their confirmations and their things. Are you guys listening to me? And then I think that's fair because then when my children meet their children, they can talk about it. Amen? Amen. And we don't have to degrade the parent and degrade each other because it's like, well, I want to do this and do that in that family, but I wouldn't want anybody to do that in in my family. Would I want someone to secretly teach my children Islam and then tell them to come home to me and lie to me about it? Hello. Now, if you're living in a country where mom uh, or dad has the power to kill your children in an honor killing, then you got to rethink that equation because that's an honor killing now on behalf of that person converting. And some of my missionary friends have dealt with this firsthand. Somebody say firsthand. This is not just make-believe like, oh, no, you just making that up. No, we're talking the truth. In both Hindu families and extreme Hindu families as well as Muslim families, there can be a death penalty for their conversion to Christianity. That's different. Everybody say that's different. What I'm talking about is just that sense of if you were teaching my children Islam and then telling them at school that when they come home, don't tell your dad we're teaching you that, I wouldn't want that to be done. So if we're going to the schools and we're going to teach a Muslim and we're going to teach a Hindu and we're going to teach an atheist whatever, we want them to be able to know will come home, talk to your parents. Please tell them what you are learning and that we are also praying for them. How many know that's us loving on them? And then it's not our responsibility to try to figure all that family dynamic out because God has a way even beyond our ways. Some of the testimonies that I've heard from those who have converted from those other religions had to make those decisions as they got older and became adults, but they said, I am thankful for the Christians along the way that were patient and kind and loving with me, allowing me that grace and space. Amen? I just say that because oftentimes we think to ourselves, as a Christian, I can get away with this, but I don't want someone else doing that to me. I'm talking your entire life. Everybody say, my entire life is ruled by the golden rule. Come on, say it again. My entire life is ruled by the golden rule. I'm talking about war, and I could get into that discussion. If you cannot fight a just war, you do not deserve to go to war. If while you're going to be in war, you're going to be butchering children, raping people, that you don't go to war then. Just lock yourself in an insane asylum, okay? Because if we go to war, we're going to fight it by rules, and we're going to fight by codes, and the Bible talks about that. There's a time for war, and there's a time for peace. Can I hear an amen to that? I'm talking the whole entire life, man. I will be here all day just talking about this one point. The golden rule is how we rule and how we live by, amen? If we don't want other people doing it to us, we do not do it to other people. That is the biblical standard of Christian love. There is no other love like that. I know in comparative religions they try to say that it's similar, and I do agree that there is a similarity. Just like there could be a similarity when you look at a duck and you look at a chicken, they could be similar, but how many know they're not the same thing? Okay, they they there are similarities, and I think that points to the trueness of our scriptures because it talks about why we came from one race, the human race, and spread out across the land. Acts 19, and I believe this is the original, and those are the copy. Everybody say Amen if you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but. But there is no other kind of love like Christian love. Now, have Christians always lived like it? No, and that's why I say that the conquistador might have gone to hell with the pagan at the same time, okay? Or if the pagan was living just according to their conscience, the conquistador might have went to hell and the pagan to heaven as long as they were not worshiping a false god, but worshiping the one true God in their conscience, according to Romans 1, amen? I'm not talking about universalism. I'm just talking about God's grace and mercy being given to those who have not yet heard the gospel. And so a conquistador who may be in total violation of the love of God, while he's exploring and doing some things, he may think in the name of Christendom, he's doing this for the glory of the cross and of Rome and of the church, may be going straight to hell. And the one that he's killing, the native, may be going to heaven because they were right with the God of the Bible. Can I hear an amen to that? So God, just like the Bible says, is not picking sides according to politics. He's picking his word. He puts it even above his name. Amen? Okay, so love God, love people. Number two, be committed to Jesus and His kingdom, the church on the earth. Because in Matthew 6 as we just said, we're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Where is the first visible place Jesus said His kingdom was? The church. And point to where the church is. Yourselves, don't point to the carpet. The carpet ain't the church. Right? Now, we say in our modern vernacular, like, this is the church's carpet. I like the church carpet. I like the church sound system. And we talk about it like that. And there are some of my friends who are a little bit weirdy, you know, fruit nuts and flakes, Christians, you know, granola. Like, don't call it that. Call it the building where the church meets. And there's one even like that. If you ever seen on Irving Park? It even calls it the it's name of the church is the place where the church meets. You know, if anybody's ever seen that sign, it's by Irving and Pulaski, the place where the church meets okay thanks dude now we got it but how many know that in the bible it talks about the church as a group of people and then it also talks about the church as the body of christ spread about all throughout the earth into generations so we look at this as a local church and a global or universal church anybody who says i can serve god without the church is in other words is disobeying god it's like saying joe i like you but i hate your wife right how, how long do you think you and i can get together if you don't like my wife Not very long. Number three, faithful. Everybody say, faithful. Amen. Notice these three things in this order faithful to family, church, and calling. The reason why family comes before church is because when God was establishing the family, it is the foundation for the church. In other words, if you don't have a family, how do you have people in a church? How are babies made, y'all? They're not made by the church. (laughs) How many know that would be crazy? Let's come to church and make babies. Now How many know cults and, and, and there's still even cults back then and even cults now that do those kinds of things? The Bible says don't mention what the wicked do because, you know, they, you know it's perverse. But I'll, I'll just say this. There are some stories in the past that I see repeating in the future, and I'm just like, I can't believe people still fall for this. But then I think to myself, well, I guess it makes a little bit of sense. Some people just love sex and don't care how they get it. You know, Some people will join a sex cult because they're like, well, we get to have sex. Yeah, but he's going to have sex with your wife. Well, at least I get to have sex with this other one over here. And you can study these. There's a whole series on Netflix of cults, and there's almost one thing that they always have in common. Almost every single time, they are sexually perverse. How many know what I'm talking about? There are very few where they are not sexually perverse. As a matter of fact, one in the Philippines, Apollo Quibloy, one that we've had our eye on for quite some time because we've been wanting to minister there, praise God, when Pastor Ray just came a few... Few weeks ago says he is now finally getting exposed and now the truth is coming out for sex trafficking and his perverse lifestyle. And how many are happy for that because we want to see these false Christs exposed because there's only one Jesus, amen? And he is the way, the truth, and the life, not this person over here. So we're faithful to family because families make up the church. We're faithful to our marriages, faithful to the, to the children, faithful to the church, obviously. And then faithful, notice this, to our calling. Go to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3, please. Because each one of us have a calling, and we need to be faithful to it. And I want you to see this because this is something that the Bible says will be a mark of the end times, that people would be without faith. How many remember Jesus saying that? That they would be without faith. They would be without faith. It would be a faithless generation, just like how he rebuked them back then. So the Bible says, let love and faithfulness never what? Come on, never what? Never leave you. Thank you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God. And who? Man. And then look at the next verse. This is that famous verse we all know, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways submit to him. He will make your path straight. Now going back up there, brothers and sisters, think about this. How many people today can say that they've worked the same job for even 10 years? You know, especially those who are my age. Most people can't. You talk to people, how long have you been married? Most people can't even say they've been married. I have friends already on their second and third marriage, and they're my age. This is the kind of world that we live in. And then those who say, well, that's why I don't get married, Pastor. That's why I shack up. That's why I live with the person. They have more partners than my friends have wives. You're not doing it any better. You're actually worse off. You have more. Think about this. The one who is not married will have more partners versus the one who's getting married, not being faithful, and getting divorced. So uh, two wrongs don't make a right in that situation. Think about in this church, how many churches you've been a part of. Here, listen, we're not going to judge you on that, but just think about how many churches have you been a part of. Where back in the day, our families, you know, you could say whatever you want about the Catholics, but how many, no, people were dedicated to their church. It's not like you saw my grandma, my Catholic grandma going, I'm leaving this parish and I'm going all the way down to that parish. No, I mean, I'm sure that happened with somebody's way up, but that didn't happen with mine. My grandma went to the same church every day of her known life in that neighborhood. And I think if I asked my dad, it would be about 50 years in that neighborhood. That was her church, for better or for worse. And, and, and once again, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean you put up with every shady thing. There's, there's a limit to how far your faithfulness goes. I'm not saying stay married to somebody that keeps cheating on you. Can I hear an amen to that? The Bible gives you a right to divorce in that situation. I'm not saying stay faithful to a church if Father Tom's doing secret stuff with the altar boys. I'm not talking. About, how many know I'm not talking about that? But I have to say that in this world. Oh, he's just defending the abuser in the institution. How many know I'm on Twitter and Facebook too much, you know? But I hear it. I, oh, he's defending the institution, and he wants you to be loyal to it so that whatever they do in the church, he's manipulating his people so that whatever he does, he can get away with. To hell with the devil. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying other than that... Other than three major things happening wrong here, false doctrine, thievery, stealing, dishonesty, or sexual perversion, other than that, which can all be considered a form of abuse, okay? Other than that, stay with a good church. Can I hear an amen to that? And if you feel called somewhere else, have it make sense to the church you're a part of. Let's go back to our notes, please. The Bible says that when we're faithful, in little we'll be given much. How many have heard that before? Do you think it's any coincidence, let's think about this for a second, that church growth experts say that now more than ever before, the church is dying in America. As you see it, the buildings are becoming condom, you know, condominiums, other religious facilities like the mosque or the Islamic Center there on Narragansett. Uh, you know, wh- whether it's any of these things happening, the Christian, the Christian faith is declining. Do you think there's any coincidence that at the time Christianity is declining, that people in the pews are the less active that they've ever been? Do you think that's a coincidence? Or do you think possibly there's a correlation between people doing nothing in the church and the church dying? In other words, what do you think makes a church grow? What do you think brings Christianity to the world? When those who are participating in it actually go out there and perform it, do the good works of it. Are you listening, brothers and sisters? Like when people were in the time of Billy Graham and all of those churches were being built in the 50s and 60s, that was a push towards the growth of Christianity. You can see that at that time there were people going door to door. As we had mentioned already in the service, there were tent crusades going on in neighborhoods. There were charitable organizations going on and things happened. You could see a nation and its people geared towards those things. Now what do we have? We have a church that is dying in America that the, they say now with this Gen Z generation that only 4% of them have a Christian worldview. Do you understand what that is going to look like in the next 20 years, my friends? You think it looks like you think it looks crazy right now when you're listening to a woman with purple hair on TikTok say that she's a bird. If you think that looks crazy now, that, that obscure thing, imagine in twenty years from now, when that's the majority of the population, at least the the mindset that accepts that. Because nobody in Gen Z that I know of with the green hair is condemning that. They, they may say, dude, that's weird. You're a bird, but good for you. Like, nobody in that generation that's unsaved is upset about that. Are you guys tracking what I'm saying? Like, as a general rule for us who are a little bit older and who anybody in here that actually has a sound mind of the scripture, we go, we're not putting up with that. Like, you have the freedom to say that. but acknowledging you that we're not calling you big bird we're not talking to you like a bird we're not going to figure out what kind of birds you are we're not playing that but as that generation dies off the generation that accepts that is going to be around four percent they say of gen z has a biblical worldview four percent now you think that's do you think that's in any way correlated to the other side of that spectrum we're only about four to five percent of christians are actually soul winning of course it's correlated The more we become inactive, the more the world goes to hell. The more the world is indoctrinated by their views. You and I should be indoctrinating them with our views. Everybody's fighting for dogma right now. Don't let anybody tell you that it's improper to be dogmatic. We don't like Christians because they're dogmatic. Ask them, are you dogmatic about that? That sounds like one of your dogmas that one of your things that you're indoctrinating me with or at least trying to is to try to tell me not to have any dogma dogma. So your first dogma, your first indoctrination, your first doctrine is that you're right, everybody else is wrong and shouldn't argue with you. Because as long as we're in agreement with you, we can have our opinion. But the moment we have a diverse opinion, we can't have an opinion. How many know that's not diversity? That's not true diversity. In Christian freedom and nations that believe in Christian freedom, we allow the opinions to be expressed. Remember we talked about this last week, that the separation of church and state was actually a Christian idea. How many remember that? Dansbury Baptist, the letter to Thomas Jefferson, that was a Christian idea. Now, looking at this, the Bible says that we should be generous. Everybody say generous. Go to Proverbs eleven twenty-five 25 quickly, please. The Bible talks about being generous, that our hearts should not be geared only to ourselves. And once again, when you think about the world, even just like, no matter how you think about like our, our founding fathers, at least they prayed, okay? At least they had one thing right out of the other things they had wrong. Well, here's the same thing we could say about Bill Gates. whether not he's trying to take over the world and control all of the farms and everything everybody else is saying he's doing, that he was, you know, in, you, in the vaccines, they were putting computer chips in people. Whatever you think about Bill Gates, how many know he's also known for his generosity? Amen. How many know, no matter what you think about Oprah, she, she could be the leader of the new age, she could be wrong in all these other things, she could be considered an adulterous woman for having sex outside of marriage with Stedman, but how many know she's known for her generosity? Now, tell me a pastor that is that well-known in our nation as those two names I just mentioned. See, why isn't T.D. Jakes known in that way? If I mention T.D. Jakes or if I mention Joe Lowson, the first thing they're going to say is, when there was a hurricane coming by Houston, he closed his doors to the stadium, the one place that anybody would know to open it up. How many know what I'm talking about? And if I mention T.D. Jakes to you, everybody's going to say, well, that's a great preacher. But they're not going to say he's generous, like he's given away half of his wealth. Maybe somebody might say Rick Warren is probably the closest to that. And I would agree. Rick Warren, through the book Purpose Driven Church, was able to give away 90% of his income, I believe, and only lives off 10%. That would be, I think, equivalent. But not many people know of Rick Warren. But I'm just telling you, back in the day, generations ago, the most generous people weren't just known as the business people. They were known as the Christians. They were known as the Christians. Now when we think about Christianity and its generosity, we're ahead of every other organized group. Of course we are. Christian hospitals, Christian universities, Christian charities. That's why I've said to you before, you never see the Muslims running the homeless shelter because they don't care about you, you homeless person. I'm serious. The Muslim, they don't care about you. The Christian does. So stop being angry with us when we tell you to repent of your sins and be born again. Amen? I'm telling you, sometimes they, 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 they think these other religions care about it. And then if you think about it, that's why we went to their nations. How many know Mother Teresa didn't have to go to the Bronx? Where did Mother Teresa go? Calcutta. My Mother Teresa went to a caste system and I've heard people even now in the modern society because a lot of my friends are, are, are Southeast Asian and Indian, Pakistani and so forth and sometimes they buy into more modern understandings of their religion and I have to go back to their true doctrines and sometimes they go, well, you know, caste system really wasn't a part of our doctrines and I point out to them in the Vedas. No, it's right here, dude. Like the Brahmins are number one for a reason and the sick are sick for a reason. Please understand karma, at least if you're going to talk about it. Can I hear an Amen. And yet Christians, defying karmic doctrine, went to those nations to be generous. We need to be known as that again. We need to be known on our jobs as being kind and generous. Oh, y'all get quiet because it's your parking spot and you earned it and nobody else can park there, right? i like, did you know that somebody's parking in my parking spot? Or did you hear what so and so did to, to, to my lunch? I had my name marked right on my arroz con candules. I had Maria and she ate my arroz con candula. What's going on? Oh, Joe, stop being so stereotypical. Okay, it was your pizza, whatever. But we get so touchy. I'm telling you, I was in Bible college. Everybody say Bible college. And if you opened up our cabinets, guess what you saw? Everybody's names like we were in kindergarten. I'm being honest with you. And where and where? Where were we at? Bible college. Somebody say Bible college. I, this is what I had to do to be radical. You know what I did to, to be radical? I didn't write my name on my food. I'm being 100 with you. They had to have a dorm meeting about me. Does Joe have to put his name on his food like everybody else? Because Joe doesn't put his name on the food. And we're starting to wonder, like, whose food is that? And it causes confusion because then he says anybody can eat his food. God is my witness. My parents were blessed. Somebody say blessed. So I was able to go to Bible college, bills paid, free car, and allowance. Some of my friends did not have that. Come on. So I go there with my privileged self, and you can ask my mom to this day as a witness. Almost tears coming out my eyes, Lord, don't, out of my eyes. Lord, don't let me lose my blessing on this, but I just got to testify because I feel it in my heart here. I, would, I, I could eat whatever I wanted, okay? That means I could go out for fast food every day. I could, I could go to the grocery store. I could eat good. Somebody say good. But as God is my witness, I would buy boxes of ramen noodles and hot dogs. Why? Because my brother was right next to me. And then you know what? I look at all those men in the ministry that were putting those names on those, uh, those boxes of Cheerios, none of them giving out to the poor right now. Is it any coincidence your pastor who bought a box of ramen and hot dogs and said, everybody can eat whatever you want. It don't bother me. We'll keep believing God for more because after all, we are pastors who say we live by faith. Is it any coincidence that that same pastor has a truck out there for Chicago for Jesus and that by God's grace this year we'll be raising money for a homeless ministry truck? We already got 10000 dedicated to us by World Challenge. Can I hear an amen to that? I don't want to get ahead of myself. But there was Sister Iris talking about we need a van for ho- helping the homeless and the immigrants and all of this because the truck can't have the capabilities that we need. We need people to come in, sit down, check on them, make sure everything's okay, possibly have things, medical supplies, all of this. And I said, uh, you write that down let me know what it is, and we're going to take a look at it. I talked to my brother who had just spoke to me a uh, couple months earlier about what he wanted to do, and he said, I'll give you $10,000 to make it happen. I then talked to the elders, and now we're going to get together a plan, and by God's grace, 2024, our building fund, which is technically not a building fund, but we're going to squeak it in there. How many will let it happen is so that we can raise money for this building that's on wheels, we should say. Amen. Is that any coincidence? And my friends who put their names on their Cheerios are still to this day some of the most stingiest people I know. And they're in ministry. That's why if you want to know your pastor is the way he is, he was probably in Bible college putting his name on his Cheerios. Next time you hear a pastor charging for a conference, just be like, Pastor Bob, come over here real quick. Let me ask you something, man. I know it's gonna sound weird, but let me just ask you this: In Bible college, in Bible, co- did you put your name on your Cheerios in your dorm? Oh, you did. I understand now. I get it now. I get it now. I'm being honored with you. My mom would say to me, she would say, "Joe, how do you keep running out of money?" Because she knew I was responsible. She would say, "Joe, how do you keep running out of money?" I say, "Because I keep running out of ramen." I'm, God is my way. I'll call up my mom right now with tears in my eyes. Why? Because I realized within a few moments, somebody, somebody say this with me, a few moments in Christianity will make you want to be a giver. In a few moments of being saved, I just understood it was better to give than it was to receive. And you know where that came from? Even before I went to Bible college, you heard the story. Within a few months of me being saved, I started going to the food bank, filling up groceries in my Saturn, going out, giving it away in the inner city because I understood this one concept. It was so basic to me. If Jesus has done all of this for me, then I need to go out and do something for somebody else. I may not be able to do it for everybody. I get it. I can't stop every time I see an immigrant on the side of the road. I can't do that. I I can't help every homeless person. Sometimes I got a meeting I have to go to. I get it. But you have to be able to hear the cry of somebody and stop and do something. One time I was walking downtown taking some guests on Michigan Avenue. And you know, you see the homeless there. You just get to be blind to it sometimes. And this one man just screamed out and hollered, somebody help me. Because you know, it was a busy day. Nobody was stopping. And I just felt the Lord say, you have to hear that cry. You cannot walk by a cry like that because you just don't know what that person is going through. It happened to be a scam. He was doing all right. But it, <laughs> but it was, in my heart, the right thing to do. Can I hear an amen? Because all you have to do is just simply say, can I get you something to eat? No, nah, I already eat food. I don't want food. I want this and that and that. And I'm like, okay, well, then we're not on the same page then. Because if me walking you over here to the corner store getting you something to eat is not good enough for you, you have not been to India, you haven't been to Chilapa, Mexico, you haven't been to the places I've been. If that's where you, if this is what you say you are in need of, this is what I immediately think you're in need of. And then I say to you, I have shelter for you and you don't want it. How many, how many have gone out preaching, you offered people the, the Pacific Gardens and different places and they don't want it? Yeah, you want to live in tent city out there so you can keep smoking crack, heroin, doing whatever. I get it, That, but hey, just don't, don't say that nobody loves you and tried. I mean, I've been out there so many times with the soup and the different things, and it's like, okay, they're like, thank you, and and you're like, okay, here's the soup. And can I get you into the mission? No, no, I don't want to go on the mission. I've been there and didn't like it. And I always say back to them, hey, man, I don't like my ladder either, but it works. It brings me to the next step. I don't ever fall in love with my ladder. How many have a ladder in your house? Have you ever sung about your ladder? Have you ever wrote a love story about your ladder? But how many know your ladder helps you get a step up? Come on, somebody. You don't have to love it. You just have to use it. Amen. Let's go to the next one. I got to finish this. I really feel my spirit to go on to something next week. Sacrificial. How many know we got to sacrifice things in the kingdom of God? And then that attitude will carry out to the world that we go in. As I said before, coming early, uh, staying late is a part of the ethic on the job. For the Christian, it's giving up your time. It's giving up of your resources. And sometimes you give up your life. How many know Christian martyrs are heroes in Christianity? And this is not the martyrs of Islam. Martyrs of Islam have bombs strapped, strapped to them. Those are not martyrs. Martyrs are those who are not fighting, no sword in hand saying, please leave me alone. But yet they still come. And they destroy their property. Uh, go to Open Door and put up the last ones. They were trashing a church in India, breaking everything, hitting the, hitting the, uh, they had uh, uh, decorations. They were hitting our people. I don't do this to exploit them, but that your heart will be aware of this. We need to pray for the underground church. And we need to come with them in our sacrifice. Amen? We do not need to walk with a martyr's chip on our shoulder, but we need to be ready to suffer during the time of COVID, the Black Lives Matter riots, when people found out that we weren't woke, but uh, woke to the gospel, you know, and they started getting upset with us. I had members of this church, just like you, who sat in preaching, just like this, and you know this is some fire preaching right here. How many know that? not trying to compliment myself. I'm just saying, how many of you sit through this for a little while, you want to be on fire, right? But then I had people leave, because now their name got put out in public. It was okay that my name was put out in public as a, a homophobic whatever, but now that their name were put out, they had to leave this church, because one, one was a police officer, and they said, "What well, if they find out where I live and all this, and you know what, God sent us another police officer, I'll never forget this, it was the same exact week, Lauren, look at Lauren's nodding her head, another one nodding her head right there, they understand, I had a man say, well, you know what, my mayor, because me and the mayor were going back and forth on Twitter, and you know, she was talking about us, we were like Facebook famous for a little bit, Okay. And he said, well, the mayor's technically the boss of the police department. I I can't get her to find out about what I'm doing over there. And that same week when he did not come, we were having rioters right out here. Not many, but a few because it was raining and all of that and protesters. A man walked in off the street and he said, I'm one of them. He pointed. I was like, you know, one of them, the protesters said, no, I'm one of them, the police. But you know what? The mayor may be my boss, but Jesus is my Lord. How many know God still has his people? Go to, uh, go to the, the, the Instagram. It's going to be global something. It's going to be global answering the cries or something like that. I want you to put this last one up. How many have followed this uh, website or Instagram since I've showed it to you? Anybody? Okay, well, at least follow this one if you don't follow any other. Global Re- uh, Christian Relief, Instagram. Juan, uh, help them out, please, because they always put up there what's going on. Somebody has to make a sacrifice for Jesus. Somebody has to make a sacrifice for their family. Somebody has to be sacrificial in this house. Are you going to do it? Yes or no, brothers or sisters. Darrell, would you please come up? We're going to run through these last ones quickly. Let's go to the notes that they're figuring it out out there because I want you to see this. I, I want to do two things at once. How many think we can at least try? The next thing is dedicated. Somebody say dedicated. Amen. Like faithful, dedicated means that you're willing to put in the hard work that you're willing to be accountable, that you're willing to growth reports. Sometimes people look at our church and they say, man, why are you guys all accountable to each other? Why do you have accountability sheets? Like we actually have accountability sheets. And I say, because we take the church as serious as you take your job. The last one that said that to me, I literally asked him because he's a very, very successful person at what he does. I said, did your HR department make you sign some stuff when you started working for that company? He's like, of course they did. I'm like, why would a church be any different? Why I don't want to sign anything. Bro, we're not asking for your social security number. We're not asking you to sign on for a gym membership. What we're asking you to do is to put your name besides a covenant that says you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Put your name on the line. In Christianity, you always had to put your name on the line. There was no other way to be dedicated to it without it. There's an old story that's been passed around, but I believe there's a hint of truth, and it's normally placed in the time of the Romanian persecution when communists came in. If you want to hear about that story, you can read about Richard Wombrand and the persecuted church. He started Voice of the Martyrs. And there's an old story that as the communists were coming in and taking over the churches and arresting the pastors and so forth, that they had to meet underground. And so at this time, one of the communist soldiers became a Christian, But he knew that there were informants in the church. And so he came to the underground church that he was a part of one day in his communist uniform. And then he said to the people, I will give you 30 seconds to deny Christ and leave this building right now. Otherwise, I'm reporting you and killing you. And he said after a group of people left, he took off his uniform and said, now we know who the real ones are. Let's have church. I don't know how real that story is, but it has been passed around during that time. I know that Christians were suffering during that time, but I think you get the point. We want you to be accountable. We are our brother's keeper. Iron sharpens iron. We want you to take this serious because we're taking your life serious. Somebody say humble. Amen. The Bible says that we should lead without recognition. Luke 17.10 says that after you've done all that you did, consider yourself an unworthy servant. Oftentimes, we read the Bible, and we hear about ourselves being servants, and then we miss it and start calling ourselves pastors, leaders, elders, deacons, and so forth, and we miss the entire point of what we're supposed to be before God. What we're supposed to be is servants. My, uh, uh, you know, one of the spiritual sons of the ministry, somebody that really honors me, Juan is starting a church in, in Miami, keep him in prayer, and he had me come before the people, and he was being kind of funny, you know. He was like, this is Dr. Apostle Bishop Joe, and I'm like... Brother, the only title I need you to call me is son of God. That's it. I'm a son. I'm a son of God. That's the greatest title I've ever gotten. As a son, I work in the family business. Because I'm a son, I'm a servant. I'm not a servant first, then a son. I'm a son first, then a a servant. Does everybody get that? That's why I've said to my kids every time they watch me trade stocks or every time they watch me build something downstairs in our company, you know, the T-shirt company. I said, don't ever despise this because your daddy's teaching you a a family business here. And whether or not you do the stocks or whether or not you do the shirts or whether or not you do this other thing, you're being taught something. You're learning something. And see, in that moment, you're given the blessing of God. You're giving the blessing of God from generational blessings to the next one, to the next one. Well, here's the thing, brothers and sir- sisters. We're all servants. Lauren, would you help them out? Listen, brothers. It's very simple. This is what it's called. It's called Global Christian Relief. There you go. Now click on it, and I'm gonna, we're going to point to the one that has Indians, our brothers and sisters in India. So click on the main title here. Let me help you all out. Y- y- yeah, now let me see everything here. Everybody, let's be patient because I want us to see our brothers and sisters. Wait for it to load. Go back up there for me, please. This way here. Okay. Okay, now scroll down just a little bit here. Scroll down just a little bit right here. Now stop right here. This right here, I believe, is the cross. Yeah, go to the cross. There's there's two of them right there. Click on that. Yeah, this is in India right here. Yeah, so this is what happened. Let's let's see, because they go inside the building. This is talking about the trend. I want to see when they go inside the actual building. Okay. Okay, that's not it. That's not the one I'm thinking of. Go to the next one then, please. Scroll down just a little bit. Okay, I pray for all Christians in India. If that's the same one. nope, that's not it. What they're doing there is I believe they're confiscating Christians' property. (sighs) Lord, help me. Go back up to the, the Indian man holding the Bible right here. To this, right up here, brothers. Right here. Here, click on this one. That's not a Bible. That's a pagan. That goes back to the temple thing. Keep on going down. How many know I'm going to do this till we find it? So please be patient with me. I'm one of those people. Just be patient with me. Just keep scrolling down. There's, a, there's an image and this carpet is green and it broke my heart watching it happen in this church. And I want you to understand. Look at this. Mob sort of clothes. Go to this one right here. To the right, right there. Sometimes they may get flagged. It may not be up anymore. See, I know that they may be having to do this because when they show it, it's, it's flagged, which is the craziest thing. Muslims who convert to Christianity will get flagged for talking about there being death threats in their life. There's a woman that her, her uh, clothes were torn and she was beaten there. Here we go. Seven families were beaten. There was a video that actually showed them getting beaten, starving the Christians, taking their food. How many know we need to pray for India? When I was in India, they taught me a song that I'll never forget, Pray for India. That's all the words were. Pray for India. Okay, click out of this one. Let's see if we can find it one more time. Thank you for your patience. Scroll on down. Just a little bit more. India and Nigeria are the two major ones they always highlight. Keep on scrolling. Okay, where where is it at, brother? Yep. Okay, so this one right here. Okay. There it is. There you go. Look at them. There we go. Thank you, my brother. Look at them, beating them. Taking the decorations, the stick, beating the people. People coming away, beating. Look at what they're doing to them. This is why I talk to my my Hindu neighbors next to me. And I talk to them and I say, do you understand this is what's happening in your nation right now to my brothers and sisters? And they always say, oh, no, no, it's not really like that. It's not really. They're, they're doing it for money. They're doing it for, you like the Christians, you know. They're doing it. They want you to feel bad for them. And I said, brother, you don't know what you're talking about. Look at the buildings. Look at how they're treating them. What do you mean they're doing this for me? You think they paid the mobsters to come in there and burn out a building? I said, I've traveled today, and I tell them where I've been. Look at them beat these people. How many of you know this was worth putting up here? I'm glad you got to see this in church today. Thank you, brothers. Now, please go back to the notes quickly in closing. How many know we got to make a sacrifice for Jesus? We got to be dedicated. We got to be humble, eager to serve. Don't just wait for somebody to ask you to do something. Find a place to serve and do it. Band, would you come, please? Be hungry for the things of God. Believe that there is a, a answer to the spiritual hunger that you're going through and pursue it. I know some of us we say, Well, I tried that for a little bit and nothing really changed. My hunger went away. No, stay hungry for the things of God. My brothers and sisters, what you feed yourself, you become hungry for. If Some of you right now have no craving for vegetables and fruit because you don't eat any. But how many since the new year you've been adding more fruit and vegetables and you've been starting to crave them? I'm serious. Like You'll just be like, man, I got a taste for a banana. That's weird. I never had that before. But you'll start craving that banana. How many know what I'm talking about? How many of you have been going to the gym faithfully and you miss a day or two and your body starts going, you need to take me there? I gotta keep moving. I don't like sitting on this couch anymore. You, what you feed yourself, you'll start becoming hungry for. That's why some of you, you know, when you eat pizza and you put ranch on it, that's why you hungry for it, because you had it once. Now you want it. But how many know that's about the fattiest thing you could ever have in your life? But you hunger for it. Anybody got any ranch? That was my wife when I first met. Everybody got any ranch? We're already eating the most greasiest meal you could possibly eat. Now you just wanna pour butter all over this. But that's what you crave. Feed yourself the Word of God, and you'll crave the Word of God. Feed yourself prayer, and you'll start craving prayer. Nobody has to make me pray. I know it's time to pray because my spirit cries out to deep. And last but not least, be trustworthy. On your job, in your everyday life, be trustworthy so that God can give you more. God does want to bless us. God wants to bless our families. God wants to bless our community. He wants to see that we're trustworthy. Amen. Can we give it up for Jesus today as you all stand up? Thank you. Bandon all workers, would you come, please?